It's, it's unreasonably slow. Yeah. And I actually had my brother-in-law out a couple of nights ago to look at it because he used to work at Apple. Oh, cool. And uh, so he knows all the, the tricks of the trade. <laughs> and he was running through just kind of their stock suggestions of what yeah. he would normally do if he had a computer in the shop. Yeah. And, uh, and he recommended that I back it up and just wipe it, which is kind of, that's a scary totally. prospect. Totally. Um, but my, my number one problem right now is that the backup's not working. It's oh, no. so slow that the backup never completes. Yeah. And uh, before it even gets to completion, it'll like, my it, my computer does a bunch of things. It shuts down yeah. and then it resets and it's just, it's a mess. I've gotten into the habit of, because I had a computer like that, mm. so now I manually back up my computer onto a hard drive, like an external hard drive, and my phone too. Every like three to six months yeah and then i delete everything that's on the computer or everything that's on the phone so it's like all of my data is either digital or on a hard drive and it yeah. makes the fear of like losing it or it breaking or you know something disastrous happen a little less scary because then i wouldn't lose all my photos or all my documents well what's funny is that you and i both grew up without the cloud yeah and so i think from our perspective um that's a very like you can't see it no it's, I have a it's manual so cloud. <laughs> it's so scary i have a cloud that lives on a hard drive in my desk and then i think about our our kids and and the technology and the way they're growing up with it it's like to what extent do you or what age are you going to just take the cloud as this yeah that's this is how we store data totally and uh it's just really interesting very so. well happy new year Happy New Year! I guess I should uh, congratulate you on your newfound motherhood. Yay! Care to uh, care to elaborate? Well, it's not what you think. Listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, very much the proud parent of a new puppy. Yes. Um, otherwise, no surprises. My parents have already been asking me, honestly. Um, yeah, Nick and I uh, got a dog last week, a week from today, actually. Um, his name is Luno, and he's a little Australian Shepherd puppy. So, and, and, but there's something unique about him. Is he purebred Australian Shepherd? He's a purebred miniature Australian Shepherd. Okay, that's the part. sounds like maybe a little cutesier than he actually is. He, he looks like a dog. Yeah. You know, and he's from a, a family friend, uh, who breeds Australian Shepherds in like small breed once a year or twice a year up in I, Idaho. I'm just always so fascinated by um, dog culture because yeah. I didn't, neither my mom nor my dad were dog people. Mm -hmm. My mom thought they were too messy. My dad was just like, oh, it's another responsibility we don't need. <laughs> um, dad, if you're listening, I don't think you actually sound like that. That's just my, my dad voice. impromptu impersonation. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just the whole like I said, the word is culture. Yeah. There is, especially now with the internet and the way social media and memes are running, uh, dog culture is everything. It's real. And uh, so do, do you feel like you have been 
um, sort of brought in to this new culture? Have you been like initiated properly, or do you still feel like this is kind of new? I'm, you know, we're we're new to the scene. Did you have dogs growing up? I, I'm sorry, I have so many questions. <laughs> it's so remarkable. Well, my initiation packet must have gotten lost in the mail. So if you are the club <laughs> of dogs, please live in Los Angeles. Courtney Wright is the name. Don't get in that. Um, no, we had dogs growing up. Um, my parents both raised dogs from puppies while I was at home. Um, and neither of those dogs, unfortunately, are still alive right now, but um, have been like an integral part of my concept of home. Um, but it's a lot different when you are the one that is waking up at 1.30 in the morning to let your dog out, and you're the one that they look to and they're hungry, or you're the one that has to help teach them out of habits like biting ankles and trying to herd oh. you into a corner, which Luna yeah. has taken to uh, with zeal. Yeah. So it's, a, it's like a work in progress, you know, just like anything. Um, but we're doing our best every day and reflecting on what we've learned and what we want to try differently. And thankfully, there's just a wealth of resources and friends and family. And as we've been talking about the internet, <laughs> of course, the internet. And so... I feel like I'm slowly initiating into like adulthood dog ownership, but that I was already kind of maybe grandfathered into the club based on my parents. Adulthood dog ownership. Yeah. That's uh, that's quite the label. I know. Well, that's great. Well, congratulations to Thanks. you and Nick. That's, I appreciate uh, it. Stepping up in the world. It feels like it. Yeah, for sure. I'm much more tired. I feel like my eyes have like huge rings underneath them at any <laughs> given moment. <laughs> no, well, that's the, the the best part of this past week for me has been so much of what Courtney talks about with uh, her dog. If you were to just replace dog <laughs> with baby, there's actually some startling parallels uh, that uh, you wouldn't necessarily think of. So. Uh, uh, I, we could relate to one another a little bit more in that sense. Yeah, but I do want to be cognizant of the fact that I feel like some people get a dog and are like equating it to having an infant. It's not <laughs> the same, and I know that. So if you're listening and you're like, this Courtney girl has no idea what she's up against, like this I know girl. I don't have any idea. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, every baby's different, just as I'm sure every dog's different. Yeah. So. Uh, well, great. Um, we're, we're back, and of course, you are listening to the Odyssey of Learning podcast. I'm Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And today we're taking a pretty specific tack with, the, uh, with our conversation. Uh, namely, we're going to be focusing on a humanities routine that we've done a handful of times here at Odyssey, but we just recently did last week. We're going to do another time next week, and that is the all-important literature circle. Yeah, the opportunity for kids to not only read a text, but to have a fluent, proficient, understanding, fully aware conversation about language, about purpose, about a whole number of things. And in particular with the book that our scholars are reading right now, The Wayfinders, um, specifically about different cultures um, in, throughout human history and sort of their impact on our world today and uh, maybe the wisdom that we can learn from those cultures and apply uh, to our learning. So we wanted to talk today about the literature circle in terms of how we, myself and Courtney, assess this content um, along the lines of our competency-based grading system that we have here uh, at Odyssey. I think what's, what's great about the way we approach lit circles and 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Courtney. Um, I don't think we've done lit circles the same way twice. No, it's like an ever iterative process. Yeah, and, and I was really satisfied with the way we approached the lit circle last week. And really, it, it boils down to some research you were doing uh, over winter break uh, before we returned uh, here to Odyssey. Could you talk a little bit about the research that you did um, around lit circles? Yeah, um, I think it could be summed up really easily and like I lost my mind researching. Uh, first, I started with just rereading the text three times, uh, the Wayfinders. So we learned in trimester one that sometimes in asking scholars to read an entire chapter book, uh, some of the, the data, the content, the connections was lost uh, just in the sheer volume of <clears throat> attempting to plow through a reading as opposed to like really dissect it and understand it more deeply. Um, so that was the first kind of realization I feel like we made together. Um, and so from that, I jumped off by doing my own individual research, created a scaffolded reading guide for the scholars to be able to understand, okay, a paragraph by paragraph breakdown of this chapter. Why do the topics change so much? Who are all these names they're mentioning? Why do we keep jumping from the past to the present to the future? Um, <clears throat> and then I found myself in a rabbit hole of like, trying to understand best practices of nonfiction literature circles and feeling caught between a world that was really almost like dogmatically organized where everyone has a role and they can only speak on that role and there's sentence starters that they have to use and they have to go in a certain order. Um, and that style didn't really speak to me. But then on the flip side, which is kind of what we've done in the past, where we're like, read the book, come with questions, come with things you want to share. and the lit circle kind of falls flat because there's not enough structure. So I think that through all of my findings of different ways that educators run nonfiction lit circles, we combined those two ways of being and created five distinct roles for lit circles with um, prompting, I guess, analysis questions uh, supplemented by scholar generated questions and summaries. And something I, I want to reiterate before it flies away from my mind, um, and something that you mentioned, is the notion that these are very academic texts. That, really academic. That the scholars have been given. I mean, thinking back to last trimester, our scholars read a book called Changes in the Land uh, by William Cronin, which was a extraordinarily dense text about yeah. the history and development of colonial New England. From an ecological perspective. Right. And so there's just, there were so many things going on in that book. And I think that it would be, it'd be crazy to think that any of our scholars would be able to successfully tackle that the first time around. I think in retrospect, creating this expectation around reading the entire book might have been pretty jilting um, for some of our scholars, especially ones that are still really trying to refine and hone their English skills. Um, I think the supports that we had in the way um, or in place in a way were really helpful and uh, successfully broke down the text, but it was a lot. Yeah. And so I'm glad that we decided and responded to that this trimester with the Wayfinders by kind of breaking it down a little bit more, not placing a burden so much in terms of volume of reading, but instead focusing, as you mentioned, on the, the most important meaning and purpose and context yeah, of the two of chapters. That's a great way to put it, quality of understanding. Um, I really like that. Um, so yeah, and then you, you 
came back from winter break. We saw each other uh, briefly. You said, I made five cards. It's <laughs> 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 a lot of cards uh, for, for those that don't know the volume. But all of them were having to do with the lit circle. And I took one look and I said, yes, this is definitely the way we should do it this time. Uh, and that is this idea that every scholar has a role to play. So with the assumption that they've read the chapter, and last week it was my observation that nearly every single scholar did, yeah. um, they are responsible for a very specific particular set of information and knowledge to be gleaned from that chapter that everybody read. And before we get into maybe what those specific roles were, um, Courtney, I want to go back to kind of the, extend a little bit more of the research that you were doing. Um, what was sort of the, the rationale for giving every scholar a very specific and defined role in the Lit Circle? Yeah, what keeps coming back in my mind is um, the difference between quality and quantity. The goal of dividing the roles was to create an opportunity for scholars to really deeply understand one aspect of text analysis and um, to provide an opportunity for once they're all sitting together, communicate to one another what they learned uh, and impart that analysis or synthesis or summary, uh, depending on what the role was, into their group and um, juggle meaning making with their peers uh, from these different perspectives. So the goal was maybe not so much to do the most analysis, but to do less analysis better so that the conversations could be even more rich. And I felt that they were. I uh, did too. To more so than any lit circle that we've done. And that was my, my big message to both of the groups last week was that I think that they did a fantastic job. Um, and I, I, I hyped them up as they deserve to be hyped up. And um, I think it really genuinely was due to the fact that for the first time, I think this, this was the most sort of specificity they had with their instruction and what they needed to prepare. It was less open-ended, Yeah. which ironically led to more open-ended conversation. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think too they, each scholar came with something that they wanted to share of highly academic value. Um, I think the questions were posed in a way that really asked them to practice summarizing, analyzing, and synthesizing on their own. And so when they came together, they could build on those summaries, build on that analysis, and create new synthesis with their group members. And getting to watch them take what used to just be a conversation about clarifying what a text meant on a literal level into a more deep, big picture, connection-oriented, author's purpose, driven conversation was uh, like really inspiring. As an English teacher, I was like, dang, I totally. watched these guys talk about I am Malala last year, and they were excited to talk about it, but it wasn't from a, a lens of, of truly academic dialogue, I don't think. It seemed more like personal opinion driven and summary driven, look, looking for clarity. Agreed. Uh, whereas this last conversation I agree with you was like, blew my mind highly engaged, highly academic, meaningful dialogue. So let's just do a quick uh, rundown of the five roles that we established in case anyone out there is looking for inspiration for their next Lit Circle. Um, so really quick, um, at the very top, uh, we had five roles. So we had groups of five, um, in most cases, uh, attacking these 
these conversations. At the very top, you had the discussion leader. Um, this was somebody who was responsible for not only kind of being able to summarize the main points and just sort of be that central focus, but as the name implies, they keep the conversation going. So not only are they really um, bringing every single person into the fold of the conversation by asking meaningful questions, but a lot of times they're relaying the information that each other that each other scholar shares to another to try to encourage people to jump in the conversation. That's number one. Uh, we had the rhetorician, which is probably my favorite because it's just the most fun to say, yeah. rhetorician, um, and watching scholars try to say it. <laughs> uh, the rhetorician, uh, your our rhetorical analysis, if you will, um, analyst, uh, is uh, the person responsible for looking at the words and the text itself that Wade Davis, he's the author of The Wayfinders, uh, the words that he uses to make his case. And earlier in class, going back to freshman year as well, we study rhetorical analysis as it pertains to certain appeals that uh, writers will make. Is it an appeal to logic? Is it an appeal to uh, the audience's sense of emotion? Um, and is it an appeal to ethos or the credibility of who that person is? So that scholar was responsible for finding examples of those in action and then trying to get to the bottom of why might Wade Davis be doing this? Why might he be making this appeal in this moment uh, in time in the book? We had the connector, uh, the person who was charged with looking at the text and then trying to figure out, okay, how does this relate to us now? How does this relate to what's going on in current events? How does this relate to me? How does this relate to our community? Really sparing you know, no detail in looking around and trying to find parallels or um, identical events happening elsewhere and then bringing that into the conversation. We have the evidence evaluator. So looking at the strength of evidence itself. Um, does this make the, the point? If, if we were to establish what is Wade Davis's thesis in this chapter, does the evidence seem to really reinforce that successfully or not? And that gets back to the argument structure that we've been teaching for the past year and a half, claim evidence reasoning, is this sound reasoning? Is this sound evidence? Um, and I'm forgetting the fifth one. I knew I was going to, I knew I was going to lose one. Structural analyst. Thank you. Structural analyst. You, you, you need to take this one because I've been talking for too long. <laughs> Structural <laughs> analyst was uh, the final one and <clears throat> in some ways probably the most nuanced but in other ways maybe the most easy to digest literally looking at the structure of the text in what order does the author communicate information what style of writing do they use from a like purely structural standpoint and which aspects of the story do they choose to use first second third fourth how do they conclude it um in what order are their ideas delivered truly looking at the like order of words on a page and trying to make sense of the author's purpose behind doing that. This is a conversation for you and me later, but um, I found that that was the most challenging role yeah, for I did scholars, too. interestingly. Well, because the chapter, it jumped around storylines um, pretty rapidly. Right. It's a highly academic text, so we'd go from present day to past explorers to the modern day way anthropological study runs to previous ways anthropological studies have run back to modern day his current life Wade Davis all over the place I guess I made I made an hypothesis which is my fancy way of saying assumption <laughs> that when when they were looking through the chapter and they saw the break between texts so there was actually a physical gap 
between the end of one paragraph and the beginning of the next that they would be able to lock in on that and understand oh this conversation is transitioning into something else and I, I didn't see anybody uh, pick up on that mm-hmm. out of the 12 people that had that role so I'd be really interested to go back and talk to them and, and just kind of see where their where their head was at as they were trying to analyze the structure of the chapter but Definitely. again that's a conversation for later yeah um, okay so we've got our roles now let's let's kind of rewind let's go back to the day of the lit circle our tables are set up in groups everyone comes in the groups have been pre-selected by you and me based on the roles that they've been given so that not you know there's there's one role represented at each table group um, you gave them more time than I did. I went with 20 minutes. We did 30. And you did 30. Um, and I, my rationale for 20 was that in the past, um, it was right around that 20 minute mark where the conversation started to kind of peter out a little bit. Mm. And I would rather, I, I thought they had more to talk about, but I would rather have them still going 100 miles an hour by the time we reached the end. Like I, I wanted to see that same sort of drive as they had in the beginning than to have it peter out like that again you went with half an hour uh why um in the past i've noticed that some scholars in uh, my humanities class struggle with inserting their ideas into conversation and having that extra 10 minute cushion really allowed the other group members to look around the circle and say wow i've shared a lot i've shared almost everything i wanted to say but i noticed that so-and-so hasn't talked yet so it kind of allows for that opportunity to welcome others into the conversation after the initial um, like jolt of energy for the scholars that are really comfortable in collaborative situations is gone. Um, so that was kind of my rationale for this last one was to just provide as much opportunity for as many scholars to share their opinions as possible. Um, but I agree with you, it is powerful to end on a high note, as opposed to kind of slowly making your way to the finish line. Well, to your point, I think that I could have been more cognizant about maybe going around to the discussion leaders and being like, hey, there's five minutes. If there's someone at your table that really hasn't had an opportunity or hasn't really shared what they found, like, do make sure you give them the floor and and give them that opportunity, Um, which I didn't do. I wish I did, but I didn't do. Mm. Um, But that could perhaps be what I do next week uh, when we do... Uh, round two of lit circles yeah and i remember having a teacher in high school who would walk over to the clock stop the clock be like everyone quiet spend one minute silently thinking what have you said what do you still want to say look around the table realize that other people are thinking about what Mm. they still want to say gather your thoughts write down a question open to a new page take a deep breath okay, the time starts now. I like that strategy. And I did that once in each group, like okay. once for you know each class that came. Yeah. And uh, I find that it really does reset the tone and get out some of those jitters um, that scholars will have when they're talking a mile a minute and they have so much they want to share and they're so excited uh, to really pause and think about like the humanity of collaboration. That is a really great idea. I, li- I like the sound of that strategy a lot. I think I'm probably gonna try that next You'll week. You'll love it. Absolutely. Um, so then let's put the focus on us then. So we've got this room full of scholars. They know their roles. They've prepared. They're having these excellent conversations. Um, and we did something a little different this time around with the Lit Circles that we hadn't done in the past. Why don't you share a little bit about what the role of the advisor was in this 
Lit Circle. We were assessing um, like a wide variety of things. We are walking around, at least for me, I, it's difficult to know exactly what to do. And I think this conversation is illuminating to me how much we learn in every collaborative experience, just like I'm sure how much every scholar learns during the collaborative experience. You have a platform to go back and reflect on it. For me, I find it most helpful to walk around and try to transcribe as much of a conversation as I can. Um, and I'm looking visually as I'm walking around the room, three different conversations are going on at once. In your case, six different conversations are going on yeah. at once. And um, I'm looking for visual clues that scholars are engaged, that they're energetic, that they're posing questions to one another, that they're tracking the conversation, they're referencing their notes, they're opening up to specific pages of the text. So anytime I see one of those cues, uh, it symbolizes to me like, oh, they're practicing X scale or they're practicing Y scale. So I make a note of that. And then moving from table to table to try to, as I'd mentioned, jot down as much content as I can about what they're saying. Like if I look back at my notes from last week under one specific scholar, I have things written down like asked about how this connects to their individual cultures related something someone said to a quote on page 51, trying to make sense of power dynamics, building on ideas of the group, collective understanding, constantly referencing the text, explaining the move up the civilization anthropology tower. Sometimes they make a lot of sense, sometimes they don't. But generally I like, in those moments I'm developing kind of a language with myself to try to document as much in the moment as possible. And what's great about those notes that you share is that they're not so much focused on the actual content of the wayfinders, right? Exactly. This is not an exercise in reading comprehension, but what you've identified in your notes is the skills, the skills that we're explicitly looking for within a conversation like this, skills of analysis, skills of synthesis. And, and to be able to lock in on that, put it down in writing, put it down in notes so that you have that as a reference so that later when you go to look at their actual content understanding, which is the questions that we gave them to answer on the card before, you, you now have two sets of complementary data that you can blend together to get a much fuller picture as to what that one particular scholar really knows and, and, and perhaps what, what maybe still needs to be done, um, what different skills could be, could be worked on. Definitely. And but for me, the last piece of that puzzle, too, which I know we both really value in our classrooms, is getting the scholar's perspective on how that lit circle went. What sort of reflection after the fact did they do on what they shared? Because maybe I didn't hear when they asked that one question that they were so proud of because I was across the room taking notes on someone else. And so during those opportunities to reflect 30 minutes of silent writing, guided questions, uh, it kind of fills in that final piece of the puzzle. So you have scholar notes, which denote their summary and comprehension skills, their metacognitive analysis of themselves, which denotes self-awareness. It gives us an opportunity to kind of see anything we missed. And then that final piece of what I actually witnessed, what skills I saw on that day and took notes on in my computer. And coupled with that, this time around, what we also did, and this is this is something that's unique to our school. You're not going to find this system in many other high schools uh, in in the country. But um, we assess scholars along what we call personal qualities, um, which are not competencies that are tied to any one content area, nor should they really be exclusively embedded in the work that they do here at school. 
Um, but they're, they're meant to give scholars and families at least a glimpse of, you know, what are some of the characteristics and the traits that they're exhibiting while they're here? And we've got a ton. Um, the, the big ones that come to mind for me are growth mindset. Um, we, we regularly assess our scholars really reflecting, understanding what needs to happen in order for growth to occur, and then are they, through feedback, and then are they acting on that feedback? Are they continually trying to improve and stretch themselves in terms of their academics, in terms of their personal growth? Um, uh, Self-control uh, is another big one that we focus on here uh, that has a lot to do with your, your will, your work ethic, uh, and, and how you are approaching the work here. But we, we selected two personal qualities um, to measure, the first being zest, and the second being social intelligence. And the way I break those down is zest to me is sort of, how would you describe your, your enthusiasm uh, when you are tackling some sort of academic um, uh, task? Um, are, you, are, are you really regularly contributing in the case of a lit circle? Are you, re are you a regular participant? Are you, are you showing excitement and sharing your learning and your knowledge uh, with the group or <laughs> are you just kind of there or are you kind of just sitting I'm gonna jump in contribute what I had to do and then back out I think there's a very distinct difference between the two um, and so that's one of the behaviors we were looking for and then social intelligence is could perhaps be better understood as empathy um, but it, it is the way in which we describe you know to what extent are you actively listening to your peers making an understanding of what they've shared and then building that understanding into your understanding and, and what you have prepared for the discussion. So those moments, which I know you saw, and I definitely saw, where you had two or three scholars that were really just, it was this energetic kind of going back and forth. Yeah, well, when I was reading this part, I thought about this. Oh yeah, I read that part too. And that also kind of relates to this thing that I read about. Like that was the most powerful moment in the conversations for me because not only were they displaying, not only was that zest on full display, just that enthusiasm for learning and growth, but the ability of them to make connections with each other because they're doing that active listening is profound. It's great. It was yeah. fun. It was fun. I had it a great time. It was so fun. I, um, yeah, I think it's, it's really important. It was for me in the moment and it is for me now that I'm going back through all of my notes and starting to realize what were my whole class observations, what were my whole group observations, and, and most importantly, what were my individual scholar reflections uh, on, on how they did and working to give them feedback to grow as individuals and as academics for this next Lit Circle, which is happening next week. Um, at Odyssey, we're really big on multiple opportunities to show competency, and so we follow one lit circle with another lit circle. Uh, but in between that is an opportunity to refine reading and comprehension skills, ask for support, read feedback, make changes, bring new notes, um, and, and have an opportunity to show learning in a new context, um, but still to practice those same skills, that blend of academic skill and personal skill as well. I will say that if next week's lit circles are anywhere near resembling the lit circles we had last week, uh, we are in for a pretty awesome day of conversation. Definitely. So, 
Um, I think we have a meeting to go to. We've got a meeting. <laughs> right. So, you know. Keith, we're Keith, coming. Keith and Becky, if you made it this far, we're wrapping it up. We're coming. Please. We'll, we're we're going to be there. Uh, but thank you for listening. Of course, if you have any questions, we're going to provide our email um, in the notes of this episode. We'd love to talk even more about the Lit Circles if you have any more questions. Uh, but until then, until next time, my name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. This has been the Odyssey of Learning Podcast. Have a great day. Have a good one.